On the radio last week, I heard a man describe what it was like to hear Martin Luther King speak on the last day of his life. A crowd filled the sanctuary and all of its balconies. There was thunder and lightning outside, and rain beat down on the tin roof. But inside, a man says today, there was a sense of warmth and unity. We were engaged in a great struggle. In hindsight, it seems as though Martin Luther King spoke prophetically that night. He said famously, I've been to the mountaintop. I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. A witness says today it was one of the zenith experiences of the whole campaign, the whole movement. Now, the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King's assassination was just this last week on April 4th. And when I listened to the memories of those who heard him speak in that crowded space during a thunderstorm, I found myself wishing I'd been there. It's easy to tempt some of us into wishing we'd been there for life-changing and world-changing events. Maybe if we'd been there ourselves, we'd have stronger belief, more faith, more motivation to win bigger and bigger victories for justice and peace. Early Christians faced the same temptation. As the teachings and memories of Jesus spread after his death, people probably wished they'd been there to see Jesus in the flesh. And as people spread stories about their experience of Jesus after his resurrection, surely other people wished they'd seen Christ in his resurrected form. If they'd seen Jesus in the flesh, especially the resurrected flesh, surely they'd live doubt-free and inspired, fearless lives. But would it really be better for us to have been among those who knew Jesus during his lifetime and saw him in a particular resurrected form? Or is it better to be among those who come later, who know and see the living and risen Jesus in other ways? Our scriptures during the Easter season give us competing answers. Now, most of the answers attributed to the 12 disciples say this. It was better to know Jesus during his lifetime and to see his risen flesh. According to some of these sources, seeing the risen Christ was a privilege reserved mostly for the 12 disciples, give or take one or two. Seeing the risen Christ was an opportunity only available during a 39-day window between the resurrection of Jesus on Easter morning and what's called the Ascension, when Jesus was lifted bodily out of this world, according to the book of Acts. Our reading from the first letter of John follows this line of thought. The author writes, We declare to you what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands. Now, the author wants to include us in the joy and mystery of what the disciples saw and heard and touched with their senses. But we still get the impression that the earliest disciples of Jesus got to see and hear and touch, and the rest of us just get to listen to them. The Apostle Paul takes a different approach. For Paul, an encounter with the resurrected Christ was much more widely available. In our reading from 1 Corinthians on Easter Sunday, 
Paul wrote that the risen Christ appeared first to Cephas, that's another name for Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. And then, last of all, Paul writes, he appeared also to me. Paul, our patron, wouldn't stand for the 12 disciples having a monopoly on resurrection appearances. The way Paul wrote, the 12 didn't see the risen Christ in a categorically different way than anyone else, including himself. So unlike the 12, Paul didn't know Jesus during his early life. And he knew the risen Christ only through an experience that knocked him off his feet and told him to see Christ in the face of those he was persecuting. But Paul still counts himself among those who saw the risen Christ. Paul's mention of the 500 people who saw the risen Christ is the only reference to this event that survives, which is very frustrating to scholars now, because there must have been stories and descriptions and perspectives on the risen Christ that spread wildly, but that aren't included in our scriptures today. In today's gospel, Thomas faces the dilemma of many Christians torn between the claims of the Twelve and the argument of Paul. We wonder, would our faith in the resurrected Christ be stronger and more courageous if we'd been among the Twelve? Well, Thomas is one of the Twelve, but he's not with the Twelve or the Twelve or so when the risen Christ appears to them in a locked room. They get to see Christ's wounds and feel his breath. But Thomas doesn't, and he feels that his faith is the worse for it. And so a week later, the risen Christ offers Thomas the chance to see and touch him also. Thomas calls him, my Lord and my God. And for a brief moment, it seems like it is better to be among the twelve to see and feel the risen Christ in a way that was a great exclusive privilege. But Jesus says something else. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. If we listen to the risen Christ in the Gospel of John and to the letters of Paul, we find out that it wasn't better to be among the twelve Experiencing the risen Christ isn't a privilege available to just a handful of people during a short window of time. Now, Christians do still debate today whether the risen Christ experienced by the Twelve differed in kind from the risen Christ known to those outside of their circle or to those of us who have lived in the following 2,000 years. But what seems clear from the Gospel of John and the letters of Paul, is that it wouldn't have been better for our faith to have been with the Twelve when the risen Christ broke into the locked room. It's better for our faith, and we are more blessed to be here now in our open-ended congregation, changing reality as we know it, tasting the victories within our reach, and knowing the risen Christ in our own midst. Amen.